Well, we are continuing our series of messages that we have entitled Foolproof. We're looking at the book of Proverbs. Um, A lot of us um, at different times, maybe you have read a proverb a day. Have you ever done that before? Raise your hand if, if you've ever used that kind of as your devotional. There's quite a few of us. Um, we, we've done this, um, this proverb a day as part of our devotions. Um, the book of Proverbs, it's really interesting because it was written a lot like a conversation between a father and son. Now, um, when we have you know these these times where where we're either with our dad or 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 we're with our son, um, I I just picture one of the uh, the late night all night drives um, that that uh, that I've gone on with Benjamin when we've gone out west to hunt pheasants or something like that, and you're you're driving along okay as a dad, and this thought hits you you know. And it's a thought that you think, I need to share this with my, with my son. And so he's completely unaware what's been going through my mind. And I blurt out this thought, and it's independent of any other conversation that we've had. And I share this big nugget, okay, of wisdom with my son. And then it's over, and he's like, where did that come from? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. And it just sort of stands there independent. Are you with me? Okay. You know, your dad speaks up and just like gives you this big, this big moment, this big thing. And, and that really, Proverbs is like a whole bunch of those strung together, one right after the other. In fact, in chapter 4, you know, the psalmist, or the, excuse me, the, the writers of Proverbs, King Solomon and others, this, this is such a, a, a revelation of, of what they're really after here. But look at Proverbs chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction, and pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. The writer of Proverbs here has a desire to pass along wisdom from his own life, his own experience to his children because he loves them. And so this entire book has these different, these different moments that we, we read these, these instructions of wisdom. And so uh, for the latter part, the second half here of my series, um, what I really wanted to do is to pick out some of these topics and to to take one word that's mentioned numerous times throughout the book of Proverbs and to sort of begin to unpack those words. And so they can be words to live by because they're given to us um, as as good counsel the way a father would give uh, advice or counsel to uh, a child. And so... The first word that I want to, and, and I, had, I had these really big hopes, okay? I'm like, I'm going to get to six of these today, okay? Six of these different words in Proverbs. So I, I began to, to, to study and put my notes together, and then I'm like, well, maybe, maybe four would be a little more manageable, 
okay? Let's do four, okay? Because I've only got 30 minutes to do this. I kept, I kept studying, and I'm like, if I'm lucky, I'm going to get two done, okay? So, so I, I, what I'm going to do is next week, I'm going to continue this only with different words because I think it's that important for us to, to grab these themes out of the book of Proverbs. And the first one that I want to get to, um, I know is just going to really excite you, okay? It's going to really, it's going to excite you like your dad giving you advice, okay? That's exciting, right? Are you with me? That's exciting. When my dad gives me advice, I, I, you know what I do? My goal is to, to hear him out and to, to give him the respect that he's, that, that he's due, but then I have to say, okay, is this what I need for, for my life as a 55-year-old man, okay? Um, so <laughs> my dad still gives me advice. And so, uh, but, but this first word is going to be very exciting. Are you ready? All right. Gossip. Okay. <laughs> The word gossip is mentioned in the Bible eight times. Six of those are in the book of Proverbs. That's a, that's a big percentage. And when I, when, I, when I realized that, I'm like, really? The Bible mentions it eight and six are in Proverbs. Proverbs is sending a message here and this is one of the messages that we are learning. And so I, I want to sort of unpack this, but to start out, I, I want to I tell you a story. And how many of you know preacher stories are always the best stories, okay? Stories about preachers are the best stories that there, there are. And there were four preachers that, um, that, that were friends, okay? And and they happened to be spending some time together. Uh, maybe they were meeting for prayer, but they, they, eventually they wound up just in deep conversation with one another. I, I imagine there had to be some coffee. They wanted to support each other. They wanted to encourage each other. And somebody came up with a great idea. You know what we should do? We should share with each other something that we are really struggling with. We should, we should really just really get down to the nitty-gritty and let's share, share with each other some area in our life where we're struggling and we really could use prayer and then we can pray for one another. Seems like a good idea, right? So they, they, you know, they, they, they felt like this was good and they're going to share these personal struggles. They're going to hold each other accountable. So... The first guy steps up to the plate. He, he's, he's the brave one. And, and he says, you know, all right, here we go. I'm just going to be honest with you, but I've been, I've been struggling with alcohol. And alcohol has a hold on my life. And, and I can't, I, I just can't get away from it. And so uh, this grip that it has on me, I, 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 I need prayer. And, and the guys, as you can imagine, they were kind of taken back a little bit because this was, this was a lot of honesty here, okay? And so they, they sort of regroup, you know, after they, they were a little shocked. They were, you know, kind of, you know, <gasps> and, and they, they said, okay, let's, we're going to pray for this guy. And so they, the three of them, they began to pray over him. 
They began to ask God to, to really set him free. And, and as they prayed for him, he, he really felt strengthened. He really felt encouragement. So there was a, there was a good vibe in this, this meeting. And so, so after that first one, you know, they're, they're like, man, there's, this, there's, you know, there's not judgment here. There, there's grace. And, and so the second guy, uh, he said, you know, since we're being so transparent, I, I want to let you know that, that I have a problem with gambling. And once again, they were, they were, this was hard for them, to, the other guys to hear. Um, and so uh, he, he went on, he said, I, I, I can't seem to stop. In fact, he said, I've been tempted to take money out of the offering on Sunday and use it to gamble. And these, these guys were, you know, mustering everything that they could to, to, to not show any judgmentalism and to be forgiving. And, and so, you know, they said, okay, let's, let's pray together. So uh, after that, 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 that hiccup of, of maybe a little bit of silence, they were able to, to, to muster together and they laid hands on him and they just began to, to pray for him and to intercede for him. And, you know, it, he started to feel a sense of, of encouragement he started to feel like like God was really moving in his life and and so they finished their time of prayer there for him and and the third guy said man I, I'm so inspired by this authenticity that I feel like I should share that I'm I'm really struggling with having feelings for a, another woman in town other than my wife and this th- these guys were reeling now they they didn't know what to say but they just try to compose themselves and and so they 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 recover and they start praying together and uh and they they finish this time of encouraging and prayer and holding each other accountable and and so then after that prayer is done there's there's a lot of silence because there's four of them and the fourth one hasn't said anything and so they 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 begin to sort of look at number four, and they're you know, and and yours is. You, you see what I'm saying? Everybody has risked. Everybody has been been transparent. Everybody's been authentic, except for number four. And so, okay, and there's just this moment of expectation. And and number four, he says, "Well, guys, I you know I love you guys, and this has been awesome. And and I I." I hate to I hate to really share mine, but you guys have been so authentic, you have been so real that I feel like I I I need to share this, but this is very hard for me. He said I am a hopeless gossip. <laughs> Let that sink in. Some of you are like, what town is this? <laughs> You're like, I, I, was, I realized I might be putting too much detail into this for you guys. You're, you're, you're thinking this was, is this Marquette? Where is this? <clears throat> Gossip. I'll tell you what. Uh, it's, it's something that, that is difficult for us maybe to talk about. But it's something that Proverbs talks quite a bit about. And it gives us some really good stuff. Proverbs tells us that gossip stirs up conflict. Gossip keeps a quarrel going. It, it like stokes the fire. When we gossip, it does things in our relationships. So the question is, why would Solomon or the other writers in Proverbs, why would they 
bring up this subject of gossip. And I think it's really twofold. The first one I think is just that, that a, a, a dad uh, or a mom who cares about their kids, they, they want to, they want to uh, tell them things that are really going to help them. And, and as parents, we recognize that when we've seen gossip before, that it has a devastating impact. And so we want to keep our kids from experiencing that sort of devastation. I think, I think it just makes a lot of sense to me that that's part of it. But the other part of it is this. Solomon has a particular position um, in his country, and these other writers undoubtedly have positions also, and, and those are positions within the government. Solomon is a ruler. In fact, he's a ruler on the world stage. And Solomon understands the need for truthfulness. He understands the need to have loyal people who are honest, who are trustworthy, who are truthful, that will be a part of his, his government, that are a part of his regime, that are a part of, of what he is doing. He needs to rely on those people, and he wants to build that into his children. The same way we as parents want to build that into our children. I don't think that there's anybody here that's interested in raising kids that they can't depend on. That, 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 are, that, that you're interested in raising kids that somehow you don't want to spend time with. That you don't want to live life with. I think that's, that's our heart. We want to develop and raise those kinds of kids. And so this, this uh, aspect of, of Proverbs talking about gossip is because they want to raise those kinds of people. Well, let me tell you a couple of things about gossip, the very nature of gossip. It's to overhear something, to witness something about someone else, and then to pass it along with the understanding that there's no real way that once you say it, that it can ever be reeled in again. Gossip is one of those things. Proverbs says that gossip going down, gossip in our mouths, there is a sweet taste to it initially. Literally, like, like eating something that, that tastes really good. The something that you that you like, there's there is just like eating a, a sweet taste of something that you really enjoy. That's what gossip feels like as it as as we begin to speak it, as we begin to even receive it. And so we need to understand today, we need to understand that, that, that if we're going to foolproof our lives, that we need to be able to recognize what gossip is, that we need to be able to understand what it is and the impact that it has in order that we might teach it to our children so that they can recognize it. You see, when we overhear something or when we witness something and we pass that along to someone else and we give them that information, rarely is it complete. Rarely is it completely accurate. And so what we are really doing is we're passing along half-truth or passing along untruth. And it grows further and further from the actual truth. 
So what I want to do is look at some of the impact that gossip has. The first impact is this, that gossip, it violates God's standard of truth. Jesus told us in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. And anything in our lives that is not the truth, I would think that we don't want that to be part of our lives. We want to stay away from that. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, Your word is truth. Your word is truth. That word there that Jesus uses, W-O-R-D, in the Greek, it is logos. It's the same word that is used in John chapter 1 when Jesus said, I am, when, when he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. It's the same word. Jesus is saying of himself, I am the living version of the spoken word of God, and I am truth. Jesus is the truth. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, here's what the writer of Proverbs says. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Those last two, pouring out falsehoods, pouring out lies about a person, and stirring up conflict. That's what gossip really does in our lives. One of the, 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 uh, the Bible commentaries defines um, that as that idea of a false witness who pours out his lies. It's distinguished from lying in general because it, it refers to raising up and spreading of a false testimony against another person. And gossip can never stay the truth because when we get it and we pass it along, we're putting our own perspective in it and eventually it becomes something other than the full truth. And so as we pass it along, it's par partial truth at best, at best, possibly a complete lie at the worst. Number two, and I think that first point is really important, that, that it violates God's, God's desire for truth. But number two is this, that gossip destroys friendship. Nothing seems to have a more negative impact between friends than the betrayal of trust. Our kids will learn this the hard way before they get out of elementary school because some friend of theirs on the playground is going to say something else to another friend and it's going to betray a trust and it is going to break their heart. Is that right? That happens to all of us. The betray when, when someone speaks of us in an unkind, untrue way, it, it literally, it's a betrayal and it literally, it, it breaks our heart and it breaks that trust that we have with that person. When we tell someone else something that was told to us in confidence, we betray that trust. 
We might try to justify what we've done by convincing ourselves that, you know, it really wasn't a very important thing anyway that I told. We might try to convince ourselves that, you know, the person that I shared with, I told them that this is in strictest confidence, and I really believe that they won't tell anyone. How did that work when you were told? They told you, undoubtedly, in strictest confidence, and yet you told. When we give that up, when we pass that along, we think, well, nobody, they're never going to actually find out that it was me that did that. You know, this, this thing that I found out, Pastor, you don't understand, it's, so, it's just so good. It's too hard not to tell it. That's the tasty morsel that Proverbs talks about going down. Yes, yes, it, it may appeal to your flesh, but just remember that it's going to destroy friendships. The Bible assures us, and this is for those of us that, that maybe that information is something that we observe. Maybe someone puts that on our porch and we didn't ask for it and we're trying not to get it, but we become aware of things. Guess what? The Bible says, and this includes gossip, that we need to be sure that our sins will find us out. When we pass those things along, those juicy morsels, be sure that your sins will find you out. And when it becomes known that we were the ones that participated, that who betrayed that confidence, the results are catastrophic, doing devastating damage to relationships. Oh, maybe not yours and one of those people, but what about two others? Your gossip literally just does devastating damage to them. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 28, it says a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Here's the third impact. Gossip fosters a culture of contempt. Gossip is anything that we pass on about someone else that isn't positive or edifying. True is, is, is almost doesn't even need to be in the equation. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't really matter. If it's not positive, if it's not edifying, if it's, if, it's, if it's edifying and it's positive and it's true, I say go ahead and tell and say it. If, if I find out, you know, if I, if I hear from somebody that Matt is the greatest uh, wheelchair repair guy, okay, in the UP, and I say to you, and I've, hey, listen, I've watched him, I've watched him with guests that walk in. I've, I've watched him, you know, help people on the spot. He's not even working. But if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I just got to tell you something. Matt's the best wheelchair repairman in the UP. That's not gossip. Okay? That's not gossip. You're being nice. You're being kind. And you're being truthful. Okay? As his pastor, I know this to be true, all right? I, have, I, I approve this message, okay? I'm just saying that. It could be about, it could, it could be about how they dress. Did you see what she had on? Oh, my goodness. Okay? We, we, do, we do things like that. Did you see? Did you see their hair? Nobody can ever say that about me anymore. I have none. 
They can't say it. Did you, did you, all, oh, all oh, their mannerisms? Now people can say this. Uh, a, a couple Sundays ago, um, was, I had lunch with a family and one of the boys came up to me uh, after service and he said, did you know when you speak and you say certain words, you always do exactly the same hand gestures every time you say that particular word? <laughs> I'm like, you, you are gonna make some serious money someday <laughs> reading people. <laughs> But, but when we, it could be our mannerism. Oh, did you, every, man, they, they, do you see what they do? Do you see? I mean, I, there are some, some things people do. It really stands out to us, okay? And, and we think it's funny. And we pass it along as being funny, okay? I, listen, I, I don't want to tell you some of the things that I think. All right. Some of the things that I see, and I and 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 you know, you're you're watching sports, or you're doing, and you have this thought. You know, people do. They have mannerisms, and it, and it makes us it makes us laugh, and we think, oh, that's funny. Maybe it's how they talk. You know, we live in a place where there there actually there there really is no no defining way that people talk. Right? There's no accent here in the UP. Right? Right? No? Is there? Mike, you moved downstate. Is there an accent? Do you recall an accent back up here? No, not at all. All right. And so, and so we, you know, we the way people talk. Uh, maybe they make a mistake. Maybe it's how they look. Maybe it's some circumstance in their life. Maybe it's some failure. And we live in a world where we we get we get to see failures on national people from a long way away and we can we can comment in fact we oh we now have social media we can like kanye isn't really a christian in my book that's just electronic gossip that's all that is and we can do that all the time But the purpose of this kind of gossip, when we really boil it down, when we really get down to it, the purpose is to really, whether intentionally or unintentionally, demonstrate that really, I'm better than that person. We're comparing ourselves to them. And so when we engage in gossip, we're really saying, look at their flaws instead of my flaws. And in comparison, I must be much better than they are. And we're allowing ourselves to disrespect that person. And disrespect, if it's allowed to be unchecked, it will grow into a culture that invades our lives and our, our, our society in general, which I certainly think it has. So you say, how, how can we break down that kind of culture? of disrespect in our, our lives, our families, even in our church. Well, the, we, we really only have to do one thing. We have to think, okay? We have to think. And you're like, good one, pastor. I can take that home. I need to think. Now, everybody needs to know that when a pastor says a word like that, he's being very intentional. Think about the word think, all right? Starts with the letter T. Ask yourself, is it true? Second letter is the word H. Ask yourself, is it helpful? If it's not helpful, don't say it. 
If it's not true, don't say it. How about this? Is it inspiring? If it's not inspiring, if it doesn't feel good, then don't say it. N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? So think. If we think, is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If that thought goes through our minds before we say something, I'll tell you what. We will not say much of what we say. As a kid, my dad used to say to me more than probably anything he said to me that was advice was, Kevin, you need to think before you speak. If my dad had given me that acronym, I would be much better prepared as a young person. I needed to think. Matthew chapter 12 And I've shared this with you recently in in verses 36 and 37. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. One day, one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account. My dad used to quote that scripture to me. Kevin, one day you will give an account. Be careful what you say. You see why I can only get through two of these words? <laughs> they're, they're, they're so deep. You, you just think, well, okay, yeah, gossip. Next. Well, next is diligence. Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 6 through 11. Here's what he says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I love this language. Okay, I do. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? (laughs) We used to talk that way in Bible college all the time. When, you, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Now I want you to remember, these words are being written like a father to a son. And I've studied the Hebrew in depth, and I think I can shed some light on these verses for you because I have two sons. And really what the writer is saying, it's very nuanced in the Hebrew, but let me lay it on you. Are you ready? Okay, here's what he really means to say. Get out of bed, you lazy teenager. That's what he really is. He's, it's, it's very nuanced in the Hebrew, but that's what he's trying to say. How practical is this? using the word sluggard, and it's not a very positive word, okay? He's saying you need to get out of bed. You need to be working. You need to be providing for yourself. A father wants his son to succeed. In fact, dads, I think, I think most of the time, we want our kids to go further than we go. That's what I really think. And there's a, there's a reason behind this, okay? First of all, it's pride. We want to be able to say, that's my boy. All right? Are you with me? The other thing is, we want to move in when we retire. 
Okay? So you all got to get working so that we can do that. But we, 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 want, we want our kids to do really well. We want them to succeed. And diligence is constant and earnest effort to accomplish what's been undertaken. It's persistent exertion of body and mind. Now, diligence is more than just effort. It's the right kind of effort. It's got to be combined with wisdom to understand where the best place really is to put that particular effort. And it's really, it's really about learning something and it's about finishing something. When I was, I, I'm, man, I, I think I must have been 18, give or take. I was really close to that. My beautiful, precious, deceased mother said something to me that stuck with me that literally has, it just, it, I remember it. And, it. and it didn't taint how I feel about her. And I, man, I love my mom, okay? And my mom said to me one time, she said, Kevin, you have never finished anything in your life. That hurt. That hurt. I, man, I started a lot of good stuff. <laughs> and fast. I mean, I was a quick starter, you know. I just flame out. <laughs> I remember how that felt. And I remember going away to college and, and then going into the ministry and thinking, I'm going to show that I can finish something, that I can finish what I've started. I, I'll never forget I was, uh, and I've shared this story. My kids love to, to just razz me for this, okay? <clears throat> but, and I, I had to actually make sure that I, I knew the time frame, but <clears throat> I was 13 years old. It was after seventh grade. And um, my dad came to me and he said, Kevin, I have this opportunity for you, okay? Kids, when your folks come and say that word opportunity, it's not good. All right. Um, but he said, he said, Kevin, you know, there's some friends that, that we have, and, and I knew who he was talking about. Um, they, they owned a small dairy farm. They were, um, they were in their mid-60s, I think, um, and still milking cows and still, you know, planting corn. And, and uh, he said, Kevin, I think it would be really a great idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. A great idea if you go live with them for the summer and you milk cows with them, okay? <sighs> Yesterday in our leadership meeting, we were talking about enthusiasm, okay? And I, I can get enthusiastic about anything instantly. And I was enthusiastic. I was like, hey, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. It's a new chat, whatever. You know, I'm excited. And so I, I went and I lived with this couple in their huge farmhouse. And I milked cows in the morning after they, they, they had to teach me for a few days. But I'd be the first one in the, in the barn. 
and I would separate the, the cows that you milk from the ones that you don't milk, and then I would start the, the system, and I would start milking, and it was a sunken parlor, and I would, I would get halfway through the herd before anybody else got into the, the milking parlor. And we would do that then again in the evening. After milking, I would go feed the calves. You know, I, I, I didn't, I was too young to drive a tractor. If I'd grown up on the farm, I wouldn't have been. But, I'm, you know, I'm a city kid, too young to drive the tractor. Uh, I, I would do all sorts of stuff on, on the farm. And I remember, and, and it was, I look back on it, I, I'm so glad that I did it. But I remember getting to the place where I was like feeling I was missing out on some things that summer. I wasn't spending time with my friends that I wanted to. I was not doing some of the things that I thought I should be doing. And I remember thinking to myself, I really want to go fishing. I don't know how much I went fishing before that point, honestly, to tell you the truth. But I wanted to go fishing. And so that evening after milking was done, I rode my bike from the farm back to my house, okay? And I, I decided, okay, and, and, and this is, you know, I decided, I'm 13, I decided that I'm going fishing in the morning. Okay? I missed being home, too, to, to really be honest. I hadn't been away from home that much in my life. And so I, I, go, I, I go home, get up in the morning early, go fishing. I don't go back to the farm right away. I go fishing. Man, did I get in trouble. <laughs> Why? Because those cows aren't going to milk themselves. I, I did, I, I, at 13, that was the last thing on my mind. I, I, I didn't realize it. I, in fact, I, I probably didn't even care about it at that moment. I just knew that I wanted to do something else. I, did, I, did I tell you, I didn't even get paid for this job, okay? I did this for free. Okay, I got, I got a little bit at the end of the summer, and I mean a little bit, okay? I, my kid would look at me and go, you're kidding me, right? I mean, I, they, I, I, it, was, it was, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what it was to be diligent. But at, after that summer and throughout my life, I've been able to look back on that experience and, and I spent, I, for some reason, I spent a lot of time in one particular silo shoveling corn, okay, into five-gallon buckets. And can you imagine how big I was at 13? <laughs> can you imagine that? All right, don't think of Isaac, okay, at, at 15. You got to think a little smaller, okay, because uh, he's huge. But, I, but I, I spent this time, and I remember all of that shoveling and, all, and carrying those corn in, the, in those buckets, you know, and it taught me something. It taught me how to finish a job eventually. It taught me diligence. It taught me work ethic, and it's my responsibility as a father to teach my children work ethic to how to stick to a job until it's done. Okay? James, I see you sitting there. Your dad has had to teach you how to finish a job until it's done, and now you're the guy up on the roof and he's in the office. 
Not all the time, but, you know, I know that that's some of what you... Hey, listen, if your dad didn't successfully teach you that, he couldn't have you up there doing that, okay? Because when our kids are little, we got to look over their, their shoulders, okay? In fact, we say, come on, let's do this together, and then after we're done doing it together, I'm going to watch you while you do it to make sure that you're doing it right, and then, okay, you do that, I'm going to go over here and work on something else, and I'll come back and check on you and see how you've been doing. What we're doing is we're teaching them diligence, okay? Because we know that our kids sometimes have the attention span of a gnat, and if we turn around, they're going to wander off on us. We all have had to learn it. Diligence is extremely important to us. There are some advantages when we embrace a life of diligence, okay? Now, I know that all of you are thinking that this is just about kids, and I got news for you. It's not. It's about us, where we are here and now in our lives. There's some advantages. Advantage number one, advancement. The psalmist writes that promotion doesn't come from the north, it doesn't come from the south, it doesn't come from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. Studying the life of Joseph in Bible college, our professor said that cream always rises to the top. Joseph was diligent wherever he was. Whatever circumstance he found himself in, no matter how bad it was, he was a slave to Potiphar. He was put into prison. Wherever he was, he gave his best. And he always rose to the top. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Friends, if we apply ourselves diligently, it's going to make a difference in our workplace. When you're, when you're good at what you do and you work hard at it, people want to use you. They want to have you on their team. They want to promote you. They want to take you from one company to another. Why? Because we're diligent. Diligence is the mark of a wise person. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Do your best, Paul writes, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. The Greek for do your best is referring to diligence. Keep at it. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep doing it. As believers, we need to give our best effort in everything we do for the glory of God. Advantage number two is satisfaction. I have no idea how long I'm going. I better wrap up. Satisfaction. Worship team, why don't you come on up? Proverbs 28, 19 says, Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Proverbs 13, 4, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The word satisfied in the Hebrew means fat. Okay? Pastor, I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be fat. No, it means prosperous. It's a good word, okay? That when we're diligent, we become prosperous. Now, there, there are about 500,000 Michiganders that were in the woods this weekend, okay? 500,000 hunters this weekend. And when they are lucky enough to get a deer, 
okay? I, I remember getting the deer and, and the, how much fun it was, not just to shoot the deer, but the work starts once the deer's on the ground, okay? Once you shoot the deer. You take, you take it home, what do you do? You, you, you know, you gotta get it processed. I had a different word in my notes originally, but I changed it because I realized that that might be a word that, that, that would scare some, some people, but you, you process it, that's the word. You, you, make, you take it from being a deer on the ground to being in the freezer, okay? You cut it up and you put it in nice, neat, white freezer paper wrapper and you put it in the freezer and I, I remember the feeling that I used to get of seeing those nice, neatly wrapped packages and knowing how good they were going to taste and knowing that they were free, free, you know what I'm saying? Free. A $500 gun, a $5,000 four-wheeler, you know, right? Free, do you get what I'm saying? And you see that, that was, those beautiful rows and you're like, you, it, it was so satisfying because of all the work that had to go into it, okay? It was satisfying. We, we, just, uh, we just finished a little project at the house. We, um, we, we redid a bathroom, okay? And, and I go into that bathroom, still I go into that bathroom turn on the light, and I just look at it. Just look at it. I go over, I look at the, the new toilet that I put in. I look at the vanity and the sink. I look at the flooring that Christer put in. <laughs> I didn't do the flooring. I look at the paint. I look at the lighting because the lighting I had to totally change. I had to cut new holes in the wall and patch the old ones, and, and, and I'm like, yeah. This is, I get a satisfied feeling. Why? Because I was diligent. Diligence produces something very positive in our lives, and it brings about even abundance. Two more scriptures. Proverbs 21, 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Planning. Planning is a part of diligence. The more we plan, the, the more diligent we can be. Proverbs 10, four lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Let me tell you something, that God, you know, this is not just about work. God rewards those who diligently seek him, okay? Diligence has a spiritual application in our lives as well as a work application. The more we seek him, the more we find him the more we experience his presence, amen?